noon. We have two. The first one comes from Romans 1, 18 to 32. Romans 1, starting at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they know God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creator, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relationships with women and were consumed with passion for one another men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Our second reading is from the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Colossians 3, the first 17 verses. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge up to the image of its creator. 
Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let us sing in response Psalm 11, stanzas 1 and 2.
Our text for this afternoon's sermon comes from Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 24. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17, the new life. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. After the sermon, we'll sing of Psalm 25, stanzas 4 and 6. Beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we have been busy with the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, we have been reminded of God's great work of gathering a church from all the nations of the earth in his only son, Jesus Christ. In the process of describing God's work, Paul mentions that this church has been chosen to be holy and blameless before God in love. Chapter 1, verse 4. He also mentions that the church has been chosen for the doing of good works. Chapter 2, verse 10. In the first three chapters, he has not yet spelled out what this blameless and holy life, these good works, involve. He begins to do that in chapter 4. In verse 1, we read his exhortation to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. The first thing he mentions is that believers are to work for the unity of the church. He spells out the attitudes necessary to do that. It seems like a bit of a digression when he writes about the role of office bearers in working for this unity. It all makes sense, though, if we think of church life as a home base. Home base must be healthy so that from it we can launch into the other aspects of our calling. This is where we are this afternoon. However, we are not quite into the details yet. Paul is still laying more groundwork. In that groundwork, he spells out in broad terms what we should not be doing. Then, in broad terms, he spells out what that calling involves. It is captured in the verses 22 to 24, where he writes about putting off the old self and putting on the new self that we may know the manner of life worthy of our calling, so that we may continue to commit ourselves to it. I therefore proclaim to you this afternoon, the walk worthy of our calling is to put off the old self and to put on the new self. In the first place, we'll see the old self exposed, and in the second place, the new self outlined. As we focus our attention first on the old self, it will be helpful to elaborate on the use of the word self. A footnote tells us that the word used in Greek is man. 
The older generations may be, remember learning about the old man. It is used here with reference to the sinful nature, or, as Paul puts it in Galatians 5, the sinful flesh, or in Colossians 3, what is earthly. This was what had driven the Ephesian readers of Gentile background before they became believers. It was still evident in the unconverted Gentiles. It was also still showing its presence in the lives of the converted Gentiles, leading to Paul's instruction. As we work through Paul's words, we will see that the old self is the way of unbelievers in the world today. We will also see that the old self is always trying to reassert itself in us, even if we have walked in the ways of the Lord for many years. As for the old self, the way of the Gentiles, the unconverted, we get a detailed expose starting in verse 17, where Paul writes that they will walk in the futility of their minds. He writes the same thing in Romans 1, verse 21. It amounts to saying that their minds are empty cavities, that they haven't got a clue what they are doing. He elaborates on this when he writes that they are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God. People may think they have great insights, but they are really like blind people trying to teach others about color. As they are not properly connected to God, they can't really understand anything. After all, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Paul adds that this is self-inflicted. This comes out in the way he mentions the ignorance that is in them. You can be ignorant because you just haven't been taught, or you can be in ignorance because you don't want to be taught. This is the case here, and it is all because of the hardness of heart that refuses to be open to God. We see the connection again to Romans 1, where Paul explained how God's eternal power and divine nature are evident to all in what he has made. Though it is possible to know God as creator, man has deliberately suppressed that knowledge, inventing idols instead. In Romans 1, verse 23, this deliberate character comes out in the way Paul writes about exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In Romans 1, verse 25, he mentions how they exchange the truth about God for a lie. In the grand scheme of things, man has not accidentally forgotten about God, but has deliberately blocked him out of his mind. It is a natural consequence of rebellion to live in the world without acknowledging God. You will grasp that Paul is speaking here in terms of understanding what life is about. Unregenerate man, of course, has shown tremendous abilities in the areas of science and technology and the arts. This was already evident among the sons of Lamech, Jabal, Jubal, Tubal-Cain. It was evident, too, in the achievements of the Roman Empire and other empires. Where the futility is evident is in such manners, matters as understanding man's place and purpose in the world, as well as in conduct that is appropriate for man. Obviously, Paul was not choosing his words to avoid offending curious Gentile listeners. He was not seeker-friendly. 
He was writing to believers needing clear direction, showing the antithesis, the contrast between the ways of the world and the way of the Lord. It is a message the church should not dare to tone down, for the antithesis remains to this day. Where the futility of their minds, the darkened understanding shows up is especially in lifestyle. After all, how you live always reflects what you ultimately believe. It tends to show up in the area of sexual morality. We get an indication of that in the conditions that led to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sexual immorality was also a key factor in the sins of the Canaanites reaching a full measure. And the Lord destroyed them through Israel, who then took possession of the land. It was also evident in the situation throughout the Roman Empire as the church was spreading, as is evident in so many of Paul's letters, including this one. We see it in verse 19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Just like when you have a callus, your skin is not as sensitive. When you get a moral callus, you grow morally insensitive and unfeeling. The word translated as insensitive has a nuance of debauchery, which refers to a wild lifestyle, especially in sexual matters. This is reinforced by the mention of impurity. When it mentioned they are greedy to practice it, we get an indication of wild abandon, the mad pursuit of sexually immoral conduct. It ties in with Paul's words in Roman 1, where he describes the wild abandonment of sexual restraints. Men of sex with men, women with women, it is all against nature. That's not how God made the pieces to fit together. In Romans 1, Paul, of course, also adds a whole list of other sins that come when God is abandoned, ranging from envy to disobedience to parents to being heartless and ruthless. He concludes by saying that they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. As we read Paul's words, It requires effort to remind ourselves that he wrote this nearly 2,000 years ago. If you would replace the word Gentiles with world, we might think he had written it this morning to describe our time. It is a reminder that in the last 2,000 years may have seen many changes in technology, but not in human psychology or in human nature. We can even say it hasn't changed for 6,000 years. Think how quickly a man like Lamech appears with his two wives and his macho boasting. When God is rejected, the floodgates of sin just open, manifested especially in areas of sexuality. We should reflect on this when we may wonder how come so much has changed in our society when it comes to sexual conduct in the last half century. Marriage has been redefined to include same-sex couples. There is an ever-growing list of letters to refer to people's sexual self-identification. People talk of gender assigned at birth in contrast to gender chosen for oneself. 
You ask yourself, are we speaking the same language? Do we live in the same world? Well, we do live on the same planet, but we belong to different kingdoms. When there is hardness of heart, willful ignorance of God, rejecting of the life that is from God, and minds that prefer darkness to the light of the gospel, you end up walking in the futility of your mind. Those who walk that way don't think so. They think they are the most enlightened, the most tolerant, the most understanding, but they are really walking in spiritual darkness. All of this will sound harsh and not very seeker-friendly, but this is the character of the antithesis of two opposing views of life. That's the life view the Ephesians had grown up in, and they still faced it. That's the life view and lifestyle we must be aware of. That's the life view and lifestyle that does not belong among those called to be holy and blameless. This takes us to our second point, the new self outlined. Paul makes it clear that this does not belong among those who confess Christ when he writes, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught about him as the truth is in Jesus. By these words, we can see that Paul was not telling them something new. Apostolic preaching was not only that Jesus is a Christ sent to pay for our sins, but also that when we believe in him, we turn from our old ways and turn into the ways taught by God. So in this letter, Paul is reinforcing things he would have taught them when he was with them. It was for their benefit. The Spirit has preserved this letter for our benefit. Now we learn that there are three aspects of the new self, the new man, the new nature. First, it is to be busy putting off the old self. It brings out how God's saving grace does not eliminate our human responsibility. In the previous chapters, Paul has stated how his readers have been brought from death to life. Chapter 2, verse 5. In Romans 6, Paul writes about having died with Christ and being made alive with him. So we could have the impression that the old self is dead. The ongoing struggle with sin, however, impresses on us that the old self may be dead in principle, but not in fact. So there is the need to put it off in the sense of taking off a dirty, ratty garment. In Colossians 3, Paul puts it in terms of putting to death what is earthly in us. God mobilizes us to get involved in our own sanctification. To take off the old self, though, it is important to know what the way of the old self is so we can get to work getting rid of it. Second, he writes, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. This sounds very similar to Colossians 3, where he tells the Colossians to set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. As well as Romans 12, where he tells his readers to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Again, we see how believers are being mobilized. 
In this case, they must get their minds thinking in the right way, no longer in the futility of the old self. This is possible because they know Christ, who has reconciled them to the Father and has enlightened their minds. When someone turns to God from a life of unbelief, there must come a paradigm shift, a whole new way of looking at and thinking about life. You can't take your old categories with you, for they are the categories of futility. Third, Paul writes, put on the new self. Here we must be thinking especially of conduct. As putting off the old self was like shedding the garment of sinful habits, putting on the new self is like putting on a new garment of godly habits. When we think back to how Paul wrote in chapter 2, verse 10, about the good works for which his readers had been created, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, we can picture it like a mother laying out clothes for, a, for young children on a chair in the evening so they can dress themselves in the morning. Our Father has laid out our spiritual clothes, the conduct that pleases him, on a chair. We just have to put it on. The way Paul concludes this part of putting on impresses on us that God, in effect, has kept safe for us. The clothes our first parents threw away in paradise. You will understand that we are not talking about physical clothes, but their conduct before the fall into sin. Our first parents were clothed with holiness and righteousness. This was the self, the nature God created them with. When they sinned, they replaced that with unholiness and unrighteousness. The new self Paul calls his readers to put on is the original self, the creation self. Here is the privilege and the blessing of the gospel as God gives us back the good clothes we threw away and tells us to put them back on, to be recreated after his likeness in holiness and righteousness. See that, brothers and sisters, how the new self is the restored self, the restored nature of creation? Do you see how God, in effect, says, yes, put it back on. Christ has made that possible. It was said that we get to see the new self only in outline. The stage is being set for detailed instruction in what the new self looks like in terms of conduct. We are, of course, no strangers to what the way of the new self is. Only recently we finished sermons on the Ten Commandments, which are really nothing but a description of the new self, of the things to put off, the renewal of our mind, and of the things to put on. Further, the whole idea of putting off and putting on as a lifelong process is familiar to us, as our catechism reminds us in Lord's Day 33, that true repentance or conversion is to putting to death of the old nature and coming to life of the new nature. Still, we may look forward to Paul's continuing instruction in this letter on putting off and putting on so that we may become more of what God created us to be and now has recreated us to be righteous and holy. 
So, brothers and sisters, if morally we feel out of place in this world, that's how it should be, for we are not of this world. If we wonder why the world is so at odds with our way of looking at life, we know why. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The rejection of the Lord is the way to folly and immorality and absurdity. For now, though, let us impress upon our hearts and minds the antithetical character of the new self over against the old self. And assuming we have heard about Christ and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, let us apply ourselves to put off the old self, be renewed in the spirit of our minds, and put on the new self. Indeed, let us be busy taking off the clothes of the old self and putting on our creation clothes obtained for us by the precious blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, to God's glory and as a testimony of the gospel to our neighbor. Amen.